Hello everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, and I am joined by my good friend, Mr. Andy Hanley. Hello everybody. How are you doing today, good sir? Yeah, I'm doing well. Pe- people watching the video version of this podcast will be shocked to see daylight on this podcast for perhaps like the, maybe the second time ever. I feel like we've done one or two daytime ones, but we're normally recording in the evening. But look at this glorious sunshine, which in itself is unusual, like actual sunshine. Yeah, Who I know. It, it says a lot. I've had to basically pull down a blind to make sure I don't get blinded so I can actually read my notes today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we may have an interesting moment later in this podcast as the sun moves and, like, sneaks under my blinds. So if I suddenly, <laughs> like, cry out and start rolling around, it'll be because I need to put my blind down more. Uh, there is something to look forward to if you are watching the video version on our YouTube channel. But, of course, if you're listening to the audio version, be it from the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or perhaps you've just simply pulled the RSS feed into your own player app of choice thank you very much for checking out the show if you want to follow us on social media you can find us on both twitter and instagram under the name starscreams pod we also have an email address that being starscreams ghost pod at gmail.com should you want to drop us an email and i mentioned youtube the episodes of transformers that we talk about each and every week on this episode by episode podcast guide through the classic generation one transformers cartoon are dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is a completely 100% legitimate place to watch all of the episodes of the Transformers cartoon. And Andy, today we are going to be talking about four episodes from season two, that being episodes 37 to 40, with the following titles. Sea Change, Hoist Goes Hollywood, and The Key to Vector Sigma, parts one and two. Just to sort of, I guess, talk about these in a, in a very general overall sense. Personally speaking, I think we've got a really good crop of four episodes here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the key to Vector Sigma is the obvious sort of big hitter here. Like, it's perhaps one of the most important stories in the series to date. Certainly, like, one of the, the big ones of season two, which, as we will get on to... I, I, I had seen this on VHS, but I had forgotten, like, 95% of it, which kind of shocked me quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, beyond that, like, there's a couple of episodes that are both kind of pretty goofy, but actually work pretty well with what they do. So, yeah, uh, they were they were kind of an enjoyable appetizer before the main course of Vector Sigma, which was far more serious fare completely agree and i will say it was nice to get as we'll be talking about in a few moments a sea spray focused episode but i've got to say i think that the name of hoist goes hollywood is a bit of a red herring in the grand scheme of things yeah yeah i mean he hoist does go to hollywood but yeah that's not that's not that's not quite the headline of of, of everything that transpires there but uh, you know we'll we'll get on to that i guess indeed and it should also make a note now folks and we're going to say this at the end as well when it comes to the next few weeks of the podcast because we are gradually getting towards the end of season two andy after this podcast we have three more podcasts that we're going to be doing before we wrap up season two it's going to be done in three episode chunks for the next three weeks after today that's basically so we can have a nice even number as it well an odd number in this case but you know what i mean a nice (laughs) rounded number (laughs) come at the end of season two before we get on to the transformers movie But Andy, we can talk about that at the end of the podcast today. Let's get straight on to the first episode of the day. That being episode 37, 
sea change. We begin with Bumblebee engaging in a bit of water skiing, with Sea Spray, the hovercraft Autobot you will recall from previous episodes, being the one pulling him along the water. Bumblebee's having a grand old time, that is, until he goes up a ramp and then just goes crashing into the sea. Bumblebee manages to get to dry land with Sea Spray complimenting him on his skiing ability, before Sea Spray notices a star in the sky, the first of the evening, saying they should each make a wish. We then get a closer look at the star, as it were, which is a planet, and we see the inhabitants that we come to find out are known as the Talakians. And I hope I... Oh, sorry, the Tlalakians. This is going to be a long podcast, Andy. <laughs> but yeah, we come to find out they are known as Tlalakians, who are like humans, but with pointy ears. So the first thing I thought of, naturally, Andy, was either elves or faux Vulcans. Take your pick. <laughs> And they are being made to be slave workers, repairing a city for someone we hear referred to as Deceptitran. <laughs> yeah, it's like so that, that's one of those things where you like you have two bowls of like syllables, and you just like put the two together and make up a new word. And somebody had like the Decepticon, somebody had Teletran, and they're just like, yeah, there you go. There's our there's our baddie name for this episode. <laughs> Suddenly, one of the inhabitants is taken away by two droids because it's nourishment time, quote-unquote. We didn't see them taken inside a temple of sorts, where Deceptitran, uh, where Deceptitran is, excuse me. We see that Deceptitran is uh, how I would describe a widely rotund robot with long tentacle-like arms, who, when asked by the Tlacan, oh, when asked by the inhabitant, there you go, why he's destroying their lives when they've done nothing wrong, Deceptitran simply responds with, because it's in my programming! Pretty much in that voice as well. I'm forewarning people here. Yeah, De Deceptitran's voice is kind of great. Um, also, let's let's also mention it. It seems like he has like a three and a half inch floppy drive, uh, <laughs> like uh, uh, on a, on his kind of chest. Like you know, I I, I don't know. I, that, I feel like that makes him kind of cutting edge in Transformers because we've had like big old disc floppy discs kicking around earlier in the series, and now we've we've clearly upgraded to the three and a half inch floppies. So important footnote: technology is moving forward, Andy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Tlalakan. Oh, I'm gonna hate this word by the end of the podcast. The, the, the Tlalakan is then taken back outside to the slave pit, but this causes a revolt among the other inhabitants, who then push one of the droids into the water, short-circuiting it in the process. But Deceptitran says, quote-unquote, They can't do this! My energy resources must not escape! And we see the inhabitants dive into the river on Deceptitran's monitor because he's watching over them. Despite calling for reinforcements, Deceptitran's droids cannot recapture them and they swim away al along the, the riverbed. This is when we hear Deceptitran say he must inform the Decepticons at once. Back on Earth, it's now properly nighttime, and we get the impression, based on Bumblebee's dialogue, that Sea Spray has been making wishes every time he notices a new star in the sky, by which point there are many. Suddenly, Sea Spray receives a message from deep space. <laughs> I feel the need to say, Andy, I didn't know Sea Spray had this ability, and it came out of left field completely. Yeah, well, the whole thing, I, this made me question the whole, like, Autobot sort of communication, and, and just general, like, communication chain, because I feel like there are there are plenty of times where, you know, 
various Autobots like give like radio calls to each other or video calls or whatever. And then this time around, like Sea Spray has to just kind of like reach inside himself and like tune his FM dial to whatever. And it's like, we've not really had this happen before. This seems kind of unusual, but okay, I'll, I'll go with it. At Autobot HQ, Perceptor determines that this is a cryptograph, but he can't decipher its specific elements. But he can tell it is a request for assistance. This is all that Optimus Prime needs to hear. Cosmos, Andy's favourite Autobot, then volunteers himself to carry Bumblebee, Perceptor and Sea Spray to the point of the message's origin. But not Optimus Prime, because quite frankly, he's too big to fit inside Cosmos. Prime, though, understands this. Yeah, if only the Autobots had a far bigger spacecraft, like, I don't know, Omega Supreme, <laughs> that they could all have got in, and, you know, they could have taken as many Autobots as they needed. But no, apparently, I don't know, maybe maybe Omega Supreme is sulking in the woods again, he, he can say. <laughs> He's just lost in his forest of despair or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. As they are travelling through space, and at this point, have basically arrived at the planet. Perceptor decides now is the time to try and decipher the message again, because he still hasn't deciphered it. But he can tell from memory it has a resemblance to a communication made during the Third Cybertron War. Which Bumblebee and Seaspray both realise, this means they've answered a Decepticon SOS call. Quick note, Andy. I really like that as a little bit of fine detail there. It's just a little bit of lore that they've managed to sneak in, which actually makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also like that, although I was also like, Perceptor, shouldn't you maybe have figured this out a little bit earlier on in this process, rather than when they're about to land? Like, oh, maybe this is Decepticons. It's like, mm, you know, perhaps you should have thought of this a little bit sooner. You had one job to do, Perceptor. <laughs> However, Deceptor Transcensors have picked them up and he orders an attack, one of the anti-air lasers hitting Cosmos and the Autobots go crashing down. We then see a few of the Tlalakan inhabitants appear from the water, one of them saying that they're going to crash between them and the Well of Transformation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as it turns out, a very apt name for said well, so, you know, I can't really, can't really complain or fault their, their naming on, on this occasion. Upon landing, droids have quickly found them and are attacking, but the inhabitants are also nearby and are able to be a distraction long enough for the Autobots to beat them. We then get formally introduced to one of the Talakians, Talakans, inhabitants, I hate this name. Uh, not, this, not the name of this person though, because her name is Alana, who thanks Seaspray for saving her. Seaspray notably starts blushing. I, don't, I didn't know that could happen as a Transformer, but sure. And this confuses Alana greatly. Elsewhere, Astro Train arrives with Megatron, Soundwave, and Dirge. And we come to find out they have also responded to the distress signal. Back with the inhabitants and the Autobots, they are heading for the Well of Transformation. A secret that apparently Deceptotran has never learned about. But the droids have been following them and attack. One of the droids is defeated and ends up falling into the well, and something interesting happens. It turns out it's dissolved. Alana explains that the well dissolves the body, leaving only the life force, which the, the Tlalakans use to change into whatever they want. Alana warns them, that being the Autobots, not to get in the well, fearing that they will become just like the droid. 
And after she turns into a mermaid, Alana bids them farewell, saying to meet them at a waterfall where the water there is safe. <laughs> Reading this out loud now. It's like, okay. She then blows sea spray a kiss, and Bumblebee has to drag the love-struck sea spray out of the cave. Arriving at the waterfall, Andy, Laserbeak is there! <laughs> because of course as he is! Always. Yeah, as always. Probably just been watching the entire time, I'm sure. Exactly. The other Decepticons are also there and begin attacking. Sea Spray quickly turns into a hovercraft, and the, the others hang on as they make a getaway over the edge of a waterfall. They probably could have thought about this plan just a little bit better. It turns out, though, they're absolutely fine. Well, almost everyone. Perceptor, Sea Spray, and Cosmos are able to go along the riverbed where they find Alana and I've put company because I guess I mean other inhabitants appearing from a secret underwater entrance and they go through. After they go through the entrance, they suddenly realize Bumblebee's not with them. Sucks to be Bumblebee, quite frankly. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I, I may be I may be misremembering. I feel like this is not the first time this has happened with Bumblebee. Where it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, everyone's fine. It's like I'm sure somebody's missing. And then like twenty minutes later, they're like, oh, it's Bumblebee gone. <laughs> it's like poor poor guy, always always forgotten. Bumblebee is being dragged away by the water currents on the surface, and then Soundwave then just proceeds to go and capture him. Alana and the Autobots now see that Bumblebee has been captured when they go back to try and find him, which prompts Alana to take them to a big underwater city for help. If on your Transformers bingo card you had another giant underwater city like Atlantis, you may check that box now. A rescue mission is underway, with bombs being set off under the temple base on the surface, and the inhabitants using Autobot-created rifles to storm the base. Inside, the Decepticons are not happy, to say the least. Dirge in particular, as he's trying to set up a device to read Bumblebee's mind. Quote unquote. Oh, Robo Rats! These explosions are interfering with my probe! <laughs> to which Megatron responds with Forget your probe, Dirge. The rebels have come to destroy us. Let's oblige them immediately. With the Decepticons gone, Bumblebee begins transmitting a homing beacon for Sea Spray and Alana to make a rescue attempt, but they are met inside by Deceptitran. Wait! No one invades the sanctity of my temple! For this, you will be destroyed! Says Deceptitran. He doesn't do a good job though, as Sea Spray quickly shoots and destroys one of his arms. Bumblebee is then shoved into the river by Sea Spray and is led underwater and is led away, excuse me, underwater by some of the inhabitants. But interestingly, we come to see that Laserbeak has a new ability. That being, following them underwater. Which I thought was a little cool addition there. Yeah, I, 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 this also made me realise, like, why isn't there a penguin transformer? Because then it could, like, swim and go over land. I mean, it couldn't fly then, obviously, but, you know, Laserbeak sort of trying to be somewhat penguin-esque is what I feel here. Penguicon? Yeah, why, why, why not? Pe Penguitran. I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sea Spray and Alana make a quick getaway on the surface in hovercraft mode. Back inside the temple, Deceptitran is apoplectic about what just happened, with the following dialogue exchange taking place. Deceptitran. And, and then they just barge right in like, like mechanical barbarians! Megatron then responds with, Calm down, Deceptitran. But but it was awful! That 
Deceptitran says, until Megatron literally hits the sleep button on him. <laughs> and Megatron then says, somebody's going to have to reprogram this historical piece of machinery. Sorry, hysterical piece of machinery, excuse me. I mean, also, probably this <laughs> Megatron then receives a report from Laserbeak and is shown imagery on Deceptitran's monitor of the secret underwater city I mentioned earlier. He says they'll be joining Laserbeak shortly. Back at the Well of Transformation! Alana Seaspray and a bunch of the inhabitants have made it to the cave. And they escape, leaving Alana and Seaspray to have the following dialogue exchange. Seaspray. I'm not going to try and do the Seaspray voice. Because <laughs> that will we'll be here all day otherwise. But... Even the least of your people could transform. Do you really think that I would disappear like the droids? Alana. You're both machines, aren't you? Seaspray. Is that how you think of me? Alana. Seaspray, you're my friend! Seaspray. Uh, Maybe that's all I am. A bunch of transistors and, and bolts. But I don't believe it! My heart may look like an energon pump, but that doesn't mean it can't fail. Seaspray saying that as he begins to walk into the well. Alana then goes, No, Seaspray! Don't! And then Seaspray just says, I have to find out, and as he submerges into the well. At that point, it's a commercial break, I feel the need to point out. <laughs> Alana is distraught, even saying to herself as she looks on at the bill at the bubbling mass of water in front of her, that she did love sea spray. That's when a giant ball of light appears, and we hear sea spray's voice saying, You did? <laughs> then we see sea spray emerge. As, as a blonde-haired, muscular man, which, the way I've noted this, Andy, is, imagine He-Man, just far less jacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much. If, 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 you, if you mix Sea Spray and He-Man together, I guess this is what happens. The two embrace, but suddenly Alana feels some pain. She looks down, and he's got metal feet. <laughs> that I laugh so hard, and that like I, I've talked, I've talked like in in the past about how like the the comedy timing and ability of this series and its writers is 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 not recognised to the extent that it should be, and this is another just great little bit of comedy because it times it so well. You know, you get all the kind of you know sort of waste up views of now human sea spray and like oh, okay he's transformed completely and then it, it pulls the gag of like nope still got dumb robot ho hovercraft feet um and I, I i very much enjoyed that just to take a pause there for a second first of all i totally agree with you that's why i wrote the joke down i laughed so hard i will say it's a very interesting concept that they've had a transformer turn into I was about to say a human, but another life form, quite frankly. I, I like that as a concept, and the fact that they kind of, as we'll get onto, they reverse engineer that a little bit later on. I actually really like they played around with this, because it is almost one of those what-if scenarios. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I particularly like the way they follow through on this and don't make it a just, a, oh, we wanted to turn Sea Spray human for this love story bit, um, and they actually do other stuff with it as well. It's, yeah, it, it's one of those things that sort of, fits quite well as a single episode thing um there's there's like part of you that thinks oh man like i wish this was like a, a longer series or like multi-part episode so that they could really mess about with it but it actually works pretty well as just a one-off kind of like yeah we can just toy with this for a little bit and then move on to the next thing 
The two continue their conversation about how much they like each other, and jump in the water to swim away. This is when we find out Seaspray can also now turn into a merman, <laughs> as they are bound for the underwater city. At this point, the Decepticons have arrived and begin attacking, Seaspray launching an attack, but now that he's a Tlalakan, I still hate this word, he can't do anything. Maybe he needs to go back to being a robot. Him and Alana make haste, but Rumble goes after them, as per Megatron's orders. It turns out they've led him to the Well of Transformation, and this is where things get weird again. <laughs> so, Rumble, Alana, and Seaspray each become balls of light. The balls float out of the well, and we suddenly hear Alana's voice saying, quote-unquote, You must think of a tree. It's your only chance. A big tree. With big roots and spreading branches. Otherwise, you'll never escape total oblivion. A bit much, but sure. Rumble does this, and turns into a tree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, like, this is also, like, pretty good comedy, but also just a, a smart use, as mentioned, of this whole well of transformation thing. And it's like, yeah, this is this is really weird sort of surrealism <laughs> at its best, but I'm I'm here for it. It was also the way when Rumble realised he had been tricked, and you get that kind of very New York accent realising it's been tricked yeah. <laughs> as a tree. It's a great moment. So at this point, Sea Spray is now back as a Transformer, but now Alana has become a robot of her own. Quote-unquote, a temporary measure for, for fighting Decepticons, uh, as Sea Spray looks on in awe at what's in front of him. Now, she is also, at this point, worth noting, legit a Transformer 2, as she transforms, albeit via a ball of light, into a gondola of all things I did not expect to see <laughs> as they make for the temple. <laughs> yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like this is now, again, in, in my weekly, like, oh, Transformers did it first. Like, there's a whole thing in, like, Ring the, the Nintendo Switch Ring Fit Adventure where, like, your, <laughs> your companion in the game turns into sort of a pair of oars and, like, a gondola appears. So I'm, I'm now going to claim that, that that was based on this episode of Transformers. So once again, Transformers first to, first to market with these ideas. <laughs> also worth noting, they're actually a powerful duo as well because there are droids just falling left, right, and centre at the temple. But meanwhile, back at the underwater city, the Decepticons are overpowering the locals when Deceptitran makes an emergency transmission to Megatron, saying he's under attack. Now at this point, it is beyond fair to say that Megatron is more than done with Deceptitran, but realises the Energon is at risk. Because one of the things I actually neglected to mention at the start of the episode, Andy, is that when that inhabitant was taken inside the temple, and when we first saw Deceptitran, it's actually because he basically is just sucking energy out of them via a machine to make Energon cubes. So the yeah. reason that Deceptitran called the Decepticons was because the Energon was at risk, basically. Yeah, and I mean, it's probably fair to say if we don't mention Energon in our synopsis of an episode, it probably is just by admission and that there's something to do with some energy source or Energon that's at the heart of everything that's happening. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of the series thing. Back at the temple, Alana, in robot mode, is standing by the computer and orders Deceptitran to tell his droids to attack the Decepticons, to which he complies. Now, if you actually look closely, you can see that 
part of, of like the the floppy disk area, if I call it that, based on what you said in, in his chest, of Deceptitran has been damaged and there are wires hanging out. This is because he has seemingly been reprogrammed by Alana. I really liked that subtle touch there, Andy, unless you actually looked hard and, and noticed it. Yeah, yeah, that was, was pretty nifty. The Decepticons, upon arrival, are quickly in for a surprise when they are attacked and become fully aware that Alana has taken control of Deceptitran. Sea Spray then destroys all the Energon, causing an almighty explosion. And in all of the process of this, because, you know, things are falling down at this point and such, you might be wondering, how's Rumble going to get out of all of this? <laughs> now, because of all the rumbling, no pun intended... Uh, the tree basically just falls over and he falls into the well and transforms back into himself. I like the fact they did just that they tied that bow and uh, did that not properly, Andy. It was very nice. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed that this was going to be the sort of thing where they'd just leave it unsaid and then Rumble would just like reappear in the next episode <laughs> as if nothing had happened. Because that would not be the first time that's happened in this series. Mm. Um, but yeah, like fair, fair play to them that they actually. They actually write a solution, even if it's, you know, perhaps not the most elegant, but it kind of works. On the surface, the Decepticons re-emerge, and we get the wonderful line from Megatron to Astro Train. Transform, you sponge, and get us out of here. <laughs> Astro Train transforms, and they escape, Rumble included. Now, at this point, everything is decimated. But the Tlalakians, if I've said that right, who knows anymore, are, are actually grateful for everything. Alana has become one of the inhabitants again, and her and Seaspray confirm to each other that they love one another as they ride off on top of the river. I was going to say into the sunset, but not really at this point. Bumblebee, though, notices a star in the sky and asks Perceptor if he wants to make a wish. Perceptor, in only a way Perceptor can, basically goes... Why? <laughs> and the episode ends with Bumblebee saying, Ah, oh, it's just an old Earth custom I heard about. And the episode concludes. <laughs> you know what, Andy? There is some ludicrous stuff in this episode, but I actually... One thing I really like about this, like I mentioned earlier, the what-if scenario when it comes to a Transformer being human or, heck, someone else becoming a Transformer... I really like they did that, but it's also, they just, they tied off everything in a nice bow. It makes sense, and it's kind of, they managed to effectively, you know, ret, I say retcon, but they hit, they hit the reset button, so nothing is actually really affected by all of this. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really solid episode all around. Like, I kind of, I quite like all the sea spray stuff, like, you know, as much as... Again, maybe Charles me would have like you know rolled my eyes at the whole like love story subplot, but actually I think it is done pretty well here. Um, and it, it's kind of it's kind of sweet. Like Sea Spray's whole thing is is kind of fun. Um, you know, th there is that nice little sprinkling of deep lore of like, okay, well there are these other sort of robot entities that are seemingly like at least transformer adjacent, if not directly, kind of just like really old transformers. Um, so that's all kind of interesting, and yeah, it just, this is one of those episodes that just sits and that kind of hangs together really well. Like, it doesn't feel like it bites off more than it can chew, it doesn't have to, like, rush its ending, it works well within the framework of the 20 minutes or so it's got, and so it just feels really solid and just kind of moves through the story quite effortlessly. So yeah, this is, this was kind of... 
I was not expecting much from a sea spray based episode. Like much as I again, I had the sea spray toy. I thought it was great. I I, I like that character. Um, I like his dumb underwatery voice. Um, but I, I was was not expecting anything really out of this episode. So I came out kind of pleasantly surprised. It's like yeah, that was that was actually quite quite nice and quite sweet. So a couple of uh, interesting notes for you, courtesy of the TF Wiki. The term sea change, which is the name of the episode, simply means a significant transformation. Though, when Shakespeare coined it, he was talking about the substance of a body literally being changed by the sea, such as bone being replaced with coral. Yeah, uh, I, this is this is one of those things where, like, once I saw this episode from, like, the title, I'm like, I wonder which way... I wonder whether somebody just came up with the title and then they wrote a story around it or like what was another one of those like what was the the thought process here like did they have the story and be like oh well we've got a perfect name for it or did somebody just throw this name out like we should do a sea spray episode and call it this and then the story followed on who who can say Uh, also I feel it worth noting us Andy um according to the TF wiki this episode marks the Autobots third foray into earth sports with Bumblebee having engaged in water skiing, the previous episodes, The Master Builders and Atlantis Arise, also involved real Earth sports as well, you'll recall. Yeah, I, su- I suppose that counts. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel quite the same as like the American football and other dumb stuff we've seen, but but sure. And I, I, I did enjoy like Bumblebee's very kind of very expressive whoa when he was like water skiing. <laughs> um, that was that was a very good line delivery as well. So I think that's going to wrap up that particular episode discussion there, Andy. So any other random thoughts or notes that you had from your viewing experience? No, no. I mean, again, I I will note, like, Cosmos kind of messed up. But, you know, that's... I I feel like when we get into these other episodes, he's now going to be replaced for a kind of, like, most useless Transformer. But we can get into that in future episodes. Um, But no, no, this was was fun. I, I, I I was surprised, so... Cool. Yeah, good stuff. Sometimes being surprised is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So from there, we now advance to episode 38 of season 2. That being, Hoist Goes Hollywood. We begin with Spike and Carly. Yes, everybody, Carly's back for the first time in what feels like a freaking age. And thank God, because she's probably one of the MVPs of this episode, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, I guess she, she 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 does some stuff here. But yeah, I'm trying to think like how long it's been since we last saw her, but she's certainly not been around. I mean, I, I'm like, how how many other women has Spike flirted with in the time since we last saw Carly on this show? I mean, it's been quite a few. Do you know what? I could probably tell you if you give me a minute, actually. I could probably find out when the last time we saw her was. Because, I mean, you know, he's been trying to get it on with Astoria Carlton Ritz. He's been... Um, schmoozing with like Arthurian women I mean he's been he's been around quite a lot since we last saw her so according to this Andy the last time we saw her which uh, that this can't be right but it would have been the immobilizer episode yeah like her debut episode I no, because we saw her in um, Desertion of Dinobots didn't we oh yeah yeah but I mean she's not really done anything particularly substantial like Mm. she's been sort of a a quick on screen appearance since then we've not we've not really had any peak Carly particularly since Mm. that point but 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 effectively pretty immobilizer and desertion of the Dinobots is pretty much it yeah 
It's been a while. Yeah, so there we go. But anyway, I digress. We begin with Spike and Carly riding inside Hoist along a cliffside road when they are overtaken by a couple of speeding motorists. Suddenly, we see one of the cars that overtook them drive straight off of a dead-end section of road and then somehow land upside down on the other car that also overtook them. A proper insane James Bond kind of car stunt that we see here. Spike, Carly, and Hoist are shocked, and then we hear some voices randomly appear. It's a film crew on a higher ridge. It was all planned. It's a stunt for a film which Hoist and co. have randomly managed to just drive in the path of. Andy. Speaking as someone who has done some stuff involving like TV and film sets before, but you know, been on sets and whatnot, I feel the road would have been closed. Yeah, <laughs> if this had happened, yeah. I, I I think I think that's fair to say. Also, like they they only like cut the the, the filming off like at the end of this whole sequence, not at the moment when Hoist is on the road. It's like it's <laughs> it's this strange sort of. Surely you would have you would have ended this like a good minute earlier rather than have this whole elongated. What's going on here? Why are these cars here doing weird stunts? <laughs> It's like if, if a film has sometimes got, like, something in the background. What was that really famous one? This is a random callback. Um, was it Lawrence of Arabia when there's, like, the big chariot scene you can see, like, a plane in the sky in the background or something? Yeah, there are there, there are plenty uh, plenty of entertaining ones like that. Mm. But back to, back to the story at hand. But there's actually genuinely a problem at this point with the filming having stopped as the car that's land... Wait, trying to say it's right. The car... The court, the, the stunt car, if you will, his brakes have gone. And though we don't actually see this happen, we the car has driven off of the edge of a cliff and has landed pretty damn precariously on a rock face below. There is nobody on site who can help, and they even go so far as to say that a helicopter would take 20 minutes to get there. Carly says, There must be something you can do, Hoist. You bet your carbon chips there is, says Hoist before climbing down and saving the two, the two humans just as the two cars go crashing down to the, to the ground below and explode. The director of the film then comes into play and says, What a stunt! What a robot! I think we can use you! What did you say your name was? They call me Hoist, responds Hoist. The director says, What a name! Good job, Moist! <laughs> yeah, Again, comedy writing, and it, it, I, I love how it just... It just follows through on that gag. Like for the rest of this episode, the director just calls Hoist moist the entire time, <laughs> and nobody ever bothers to correct him. And I, and I love it. With all the commotion about, Spike and Carly notice that the stars of the movie in question are actually like very close to them, and they are awestruck that they are around movie stars. Which I think I noted the names, Andy. I believe it was Harold Edsel and Karen Fishhook. <laughs> I, I don't know why I noted that, but I did. Uh, I mean, I get. I, I'm assuming that Karen Fisher gives them trying to be Carrie Fisher. I wondered that myself. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with that. And it's that, that's also a good name. At this point, the director wants to offer Hoist a job as a vehicle robot. Who to funk it? Spike tries to take the job himself, but Carly very astutely points out that he isn't one. 
And then Spike oh, just says, I'll fake it. I'll fake it. <laughs> but that's when Hoist accepts the job. <laughs> there are some things I can't believe I say out loud, Andy, on this podcast. That's another yeah, one of them. I, I, mean, it, I mean, if only Spike was as self-aware as that. and like, I can't believe I just said that. Spike feels down, but is given a couple of guest studio passes by the director for, quote-unquote, him and his girlfriend. Which I guess now means, Andy, they're an official couple. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no denial. Then again, though, the director does keep calling Hoist moist, so take that with a grain of salt, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. We then cut to the sky, where Dirge is having trouble flying while carrying secret cargo. He ends up crash landing in a, a swamp or a pond, as I actually wrote down at first, at quote-unquote Major Pictures Movie Studio. Which Megatron, who is at the underwater HQ, it should be noted, is furious about. Dirge is completely incapacitated. He can't move, let alone transform. And Megatron is adamant that the cargo needs to remain a secret. And he instructs Astro Train, Ramjet and Thrust to go rescue Dirge and the cargo. At the movie studio, the next scene is being set up when Hoist arrives on the set with Carly and Spike. He is ready to shoot the scene, but nobody else is. So the director, having seemingly forgotten who Hoist even is for a brief moment, just tells him to head to a trailer and get a donut. Yeah, again, another really good recurring gag in this is uh, <laughs> like the director just telling Transformers just to go and get some food stuff, to which they say, a donut? <laughs> a bagel? Yeah. <laughs> Later on. And Suddenly, Trax, Blitzwing, Sunstreaker, and Powerglide make a grand entrance from the sky, much to everyone's surprise. Unfortunately for them, although each of them have made a grand entrance, Spike and Carly very quickly realise all of them have gone movie mad and kind of all want to be involved in this picture. Powerglide ends up trying to show off some of his aerial prowess, but doesn't realise he's inside a studio. And the sky that's all around him is just a painted set and promptly flies through the wall, breaking some equipment in the process. Yeah. Not, I, I mean, the, 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 there are some real questions to be asked about intelligence levels. Again, this this is one of those things I try to remember back to because like all the Transformers toys back in the day had like the tech specs that had like an intelligence number for every Transformer. I'm trying to remember whether like Power Glides was a zero or not. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Hoist accepts that his movie career is over before it's even begun. When the director is very happy about what he's seen, knowing this will add to his action movie, so he hires all of them as stunt vehicles. We then see a number of scenes involving the Autobots, including Sunstreaker literally driving into a burning building, Powerglide flying into a shop window, Trax driving off of a rooftop into a wall below, but with the punchline being in each of these scenarios that once they've crash-landed, as it were, the actual male star of the movie then gets in position to look like he's crawling away from the wreckage, and then the the love interest, as it were, of the of the the main protagonist then comes into shot and says, Oh, you're so brave, I could kiss you, and then starts kissing them. And we see this multiple times. There's a recurring theme once again. We then cut to the pond, or as I mentioned, as we actually find out from dialogue at this point, a swamp where Dirge is still crashed and can't move. What is this doing in there? I didn't call for a plane in my swamp. 
says the director. And then he orders, like, some, some lackey, as it were, to go and sort this out. A short time later, the director then decides to incorporate the jet into his movie by building a bridge around it. <laughs> sure. Whatever. I, I like I, I like the blue sky thinking there. It was just like, no, let's let's just work with this rather than just remove the plane from the swamp. We then see a conversation where the Autobots are now complaining that they're getting banged up quite a lot by doing all the stunts, and they actually just want to do actual acting. They're venting these feelings to Hoist because he knows the director, quote-unquote. <laughs> Hoist then tries to speak to the director, but before he can actually say what he wants to say, he's told he won't be needed for a while, so go get a bagel and a coffee. A bagel? <laughs> the other Autobots at this point have had enough, quit and leave. Suddenly, Decepticons arrive as the bridge is being built around Dirge, and they airlift him out. The director, never one to miss an opportunity, tries to film this, but the camera is destroyed by the Decepticons when they notice this is happening. Remember that, everybody. Remember that note, because it's a crucial element we're going to find out in a few moments. Back at Decepticon HQ, we come to learn that the secret cargo has been locked up in Wheeljack's lab on Cybertron and is an ultimate weapon. Unfortunately, as they try to start it, it short circuits because it's been in the swamp for too long and it's full of water, thus meaning it could take, quote-unquote, months to dry out, according to Megatron. Yeah, I, I, also, I also quite like this whole plot point is very vague in terms of whether this is actually even true, because basically the, the, the whole way this is pitched is like, well, it was in Wheeljack's lab, so it must be like super important and powerful. It's probably a secret weapon, and everyone's just assuming, it's, you know, it might just be a coffee maker, but you know, it could also be a secret super weapon, so I guess we'll like treat it as such. <laughs> also worth noting, because this will certainly come into play later in the episode, that a uh, Starscream is particularly getting on Megatron's nerves in this episode. And this is the first instance where we see Megatron just outright, like, just bashing him around and blaming him for everything that's going on. Remember that as well, everybody. At this point, Astro Train alerts Megatron that they were filmed by the motion picture crew. Megatron knows if the Autobot sees the film, the jig is up. They all head to the movie studio to retrieve the role of film. Time out, everyone. Andy, wasn't the camera just destroyed? Yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> they were like, I mean, I guess there'd be a lot of cameras on a film set, so maybe there were other cameras in the vicinity. Hmm. <laughs> Desperate attempt to make any of this make sense. I, do you know what? I'm not, I'm going to try desperately to not really go on about this, <laughs> but be warned everybody, I might. We see the directors, producers, and the starring actors watching the footage in a screening room. The director is in awe. The male actor is confused how the heck robots are going to fit into his action film. The director says there will be a new updated script for the film. And the film will be called... Attack of the Alien Robots. The male actor is distraught at this news. <laughs> and the producer also in the room, is told to get the stunt get the stunt robots back at any cost. We then cut to the Autobots back on set, so it didn't take that long, each now with their own named chairs. Well, except Trax, whose chair, notably on the back of it, Andy, I don't know if you noticed this, it said trucks. 
Well, you know, this is this vowels are hard. <laughs> they are. They're also now presented with their costume, an alien mask, and they are told they are chasing the girl. Now remember what. Now remember at this point, everybody, the, the entire script for the film now has been changed, and so is the actors' looks as well. As they're wearing what I would describe as very stereotypical futuristic space costumes, as it were. If you imagine like an old school film, what would a spacesuit look like, kind of thing? But do that mixed with the Jetsons, and that's kind of what you got. That's how I've described it. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, sorry, Andy. No, no, I was going to say yeah. That's that's a, a pretty apt description of that. Then, Dash Jordan, as the main character is now named. Let's just call it like it is, Andy. Of all the ways you can rename Flash Gordon, that's one of the more impressively, I'm going to say, lazy ways. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love I, I, I love this kind of stuff. I, I'm always a sucker for the, like, we've renamed this film vaguely so that you can tell exactly what it is, but we won't get in, in any trouble. Um, and this is... Dash Jordan is very good <laughs> in those terms. <laughs> now, Dash Jordan has to take out Blitzwing. Though, we do see that Blitzwing is confused and annoyed at this because he was expecting real lasers to be involved. But when he's told, no, we'll just do it in post-production, he's actually really disappointed. <laughs> and then has to do some wonderful, really bad acting like he's been shot. The Autobots, suffice to say, hate their new roles in the film. Elsewhere, on on the studio lot somewhere, Spike and Carly clearly had some really good guest passes, Andy, because they randomly just waltzed into the storage room full of film reels. You know, clearly some proper VIP treatment they're getting there. But all the film reels have been scattered all over the floor. There's a worker inside and she says that some reels are missing because someone's broken in and stolen them. We then get the following dialogue exchange. The worker... I'm missing several scenes from this picture. Someone broke in here and stole them. Spike, who would want to steal scenes from this picture? <laughs> hey, how come the film's in black and white? Says Carly as she's looking through a film reel. I thought it was going to be in colour. That's just the copy called the work print, says the worker. That way we can keep changing it around without scratching the original negative. Carly then says, Then you can make other copies? And the worker says, why, you're right. The negative's still in the vault. I'll have the scenes reprinted. And she leaves the room to go and do that. The plot thickens. But then Carly points out, quite rightly, maybe now we'll find out why someone tried to take the film. I do want to call attention to this little scene I've just read out, Andy, because... From my perspective, being someone who's kind of, you know, been to film school and stuff like that and kind of studied in this stuff as well, and I do have, like, a bit of a fascination with this kind of stuff, I like the fact they actually put some genuine education into this. Even if it was just a little bit of a scene, you actually did... If you didn't know, that's genuinely interesting information to know about how films are made. Yeah, yeah, like, it's not only is it a good kind of plot point for things to come, like, yeah, it is genuinely... I, I like the fact that it leans into the whole kind of 
film set thing beyond just the dumb gags and stuff that we've had thus far. Like, it's it's good that it has a, an extra element and an extra little bit of frisson to it. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed that as well. Um, also, any, anybody who wasn't kind of around in that time period watching in this era where everything is digital will be very confused by the idea of having work prints and things, no doubt. But mm. uh, hey, it was a different time. Elsewhere on the lot, we see a closed set, or as the sign on the door was spelt, C-L-L-O-S-E. Close? <laughs> now, Megatron and co. are inside, and Starscream is reassuring Megatron that he got all the copies of the film reel as he personally oversaw the operation. Q Soundwave to quickly jump in and says, the negative is still missing. And then, and then Starscream rapidly jumping in with, quote-unquote, How was I to know? I did what you told me and followed your orders! <laughs> now, Megatron is about to attack him, but Starscream actually raises a good point here in saying, Why don't we just level the studio? Like, that way it'll be gone, we won't have to worry. But Megatron is done listening to Starscream, beats him up, and proceeds to just rip out a bunch of internal wires from Starscream? I guess killing him? <laughs> and then says he wants the others to find the negative, and they, the other Decepticons look a bit shocked, and just kind of leave, because they have to? But Andy, we saw a murder happen! <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is pretty, like, we've, we've seen plenty of, kind of, like, domestic abuse between Megatron and Starscream, but it certainly escalates substantially here. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, we've seen plenty of, kind of, wires and things being fused and ripped out without, you know, Autobots or Decepticons dying, but still, it's a little, a little excessive from Megatron, even by his usual poor standards, <laughs> I will say. And what's also interesting to note, just kind of moving on to the next episodes a bit, is he's nowhere to be seen in the next couple of episodes that we're talking about today. Yeah, I mean, whether that was deliberate or not, who can who can say? Maybe it was like vacation time for uh, for the voice actor. So like, right, well, can we just really do Starscream some damage in this one, and then you can have you can have a week off. <laughs> on another film set elsewhere on the lot, we are seeing another scene being shot where the. Alien's ship is being chased by the hero, Dash Jordan. The director says to the Autobots that they now get to do some acting. They need to just respond to the faux explosions that will occur as though they were real. What they didn't count on at this point though, Andy, was Rumble sneaking in and switching out the explosives for real ones. The scene plays out with some wonderful, terrible acting that I cannot do justice to. Go and watch the episode, everybody. But then the actual real explosion goes off and it, it causes massive destruction, to say the least. Everyone is okay, it turns out, but the director is incredibly angry and wants to know who is trying to shut down his film. Hoist, for some reason, is trying to be the voice of reason to, to calm him down. And then the director... Again, not being one to miss an opportunity, basically then goes, Ah, but we were filming. I can use this in the, in the film, this scene. This is good. Back with Spike and Carly, now in a screening room, having had a copy of the missing reel recopied. I think that's a way to phrase it. They're now viewing this freshly made copy. Spike, quote unquote, Unreal! Those are Decepticon logos! Carly responds with, Brilliant deduction, Sherlock. Now tell me what they're doing on a movie studio. <laughs> just, 
Carly just with the punch right to the face. Yeah, Car- Car- Carly has no time for Spike's nonsense at this point. <laughs> just like, oh, for God's sake. We see the footage play out, which shows the jets carrying the cargo out of the water. Also worth noting, Andy, the cargo was a completely different colour to what it was at the beginning episode, but I won't <laughs> judge. When Soundwave barges through the wall and shoots the projector, the film print once again is destroyed. The two then head, that being Spike and Carly, I should say, head to the film vault to find the actual negative. They find it quickly, but are rapidly cornered by Megatron. And Carly then just surrenders a film can, throwing it at his feet, and then they run away. They escape, and Spike is just basically going, The heck are you doing? You just gave them the film reel. At which point, Carly then says, Actually, this is the film reel. Reveals it from under her jumper. That was just an empty film can. <laughs> but unfortunately for them, the room that they, w- that they had run into, Soundwave was in, and he heard everything they said. And is literally now trying to kill them. And Carly and Spike escape outside to the swamp-like location set. They end up finding a cave, and they take refuge in there, and then randomly find a sort of control box-like device. It turns out it's activating dinosaurs from the set. Just robotic animatronic dinosaurs, however you want to phrase it. Megatron, Soundwave, and Rumble waltz into the path of dinosaurs. Rumble immediately thinks it's the Dinobots. And a Megatron, completely unimpressed, tells him if he doesn't watch it, he'll join Starscream in the scrap heap. <laughs> Megatron is not in the mood for stupidity today. No, Rumble probably still traumatised by his time as a tree. I'm not not going <laughs> to argue with that either. At this point, Spike and Carly are not getting very far in their bid to escape. But they, in the process, they kind of ran by a boat with no oars or an engine and a couple of mannequins. So they create a fake scenario whereby they put the dummies in the boat on the water. And when the, the, the Decepticons see the boat, immediately think, that's them. And then Thrust goes to retrieve the boat. And when Megatron inspects them, holding up the boat in front of his face, and sees its two mannequins, he simply shouts the following. Quote, unquote. Dummies! (laughs) Again, comedy writing. Really good. (laughs) Spike and Carly are then able to alert Hoist about everything that has happened and head inside a different film set, which is rapidly surrounded and entered by the Decepticons. Then we get something else surreal happening. We see Carly and Spike hanging precariously over a red bubbling pool of liquid holding onto Hoist's arm, if you will, while he's transformed. Hoist then says the following, quote-unquote, Is this what you're looking for, Megatron? You and the rest of the Decepticons get out, or I'll drop them and your precious film into this pit of flesh-eating lava. Megatron, quite rightly, calls Hoist bluff, but because he's an Autobot and would never do that. Megatron's got brains, Andy! It's not difficult! Yeah, well, on this occasion, at least, he's (laughs) on the right track. But what Megatron didn't count on, though, was Hoist actually dropping them into the flesh-eating lava. And then at this point, Hoist begins shooting at Megatron, along with the other Autobots who were just hidden elsewhere on the film set. And then now happy that the negative has been destroyed, Megatron, mate, come on, he then tells the Decepticons to return to headquarters. Because, Andy, 
That's how simple it was to destroy a negative on a film set. Just, oh, Megatron, you, you call Hoist Bluff, and then you fumbled it. <laughs> yeah. With the Decepticons gone, Hoist retrieves Carly and Spike from the vat, emphasising this is the movies, and they had nothing to worry about. We then go to the screening room, where the Autobots, Carly and Spike, and now Wheeljack are watching the footage. Wheeljack begins laughing uproariously, because the cargo the Decepticons were so determined to keep secret apparently never worked anyway. And that's why Wheeljack left it on Cybertron. <laughs> Hoist is then complimented by the director, and is offered a leading role in his next film. But Hoist declines the offer. And the other Autobots are happy about this as the episode concludes. Scene. <laughs> this is a fun episode, Andy. It's got some dumb stuff, but the actual whole film set malarkey, it, for one episode like this, it works well. If they tried to do this again, it would lose its steam very quickly, most likely. But this was a fun change of pace, as it were. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a good, a good romp. That, yeah, like just having... A thematic episode based around, you know, movie sets and movie studio stuff works pretty well as, as a standalone story. And yeah, it, it has it has fun with it. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, you know, it, it has some some good some good goofs to it. And um, yeah, as you mentioned up top, like Hoist doesn't really get to do as much as the title would suggest. This is another one one of those episodes that feels like it's a character focus episode where the character it focuses on doesn't actually get much focus. But uh, but otherwise, no, it's a, it's a good good fun one. A couple of trivia notes for you now, courtesy of the TF Wiki in relation to this episode. Andy, this is also one of the four pre-Transformers the Movie episodes that does not feature Optimus Prime. Yeah, I wonder wonder what he was up to for, for, for this episode. Because it, it is <laughs> it's weird, because it, it makes sense when it's like a sort of space-based episode and, you know, he, he can't fit in Cosmos or whatever. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is a weird one for him not to... Not to to take part in. I guess I guess it was Peter Cullen's week off, maybe before Starscream's holiday, um, and so uh, so he wasn't around. Uh, another note from here: we never do find out what this device was from Wheeljack. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all in that it was just a coffee maker, and that was the, <laughs> that was the, the whole the whole thing. So, uh, but but I, I will I will say like as 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 a a note and a bit of foreshadowing on the episodes to come, like. Dirge has become the new useless Transformer in this series <laughs> because I mean this episode is just I don't really understand because we've seen the Seeker Jets carrying plenty of things around before and suddenly he has this one thing it's like oh it's too heavy I can't and somehow manages to crash it into water it's like what what are you doing Dirge like you know what what happened to your golden era of being like the horse in a jousting contest and <laughs> other such highlights of your Decepticon career is that not thrust Maybe that was thrust, yeah. Maybe Dirge wasn't even good enough to do that. <laughs> Dirge didn't make the cut to go back in time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we were talking at the beginning of the episode about the names of the actors. I've actually found a note about that here, which so we can clarify that before we move on. The characters of Harold Edsel and Karen Fishhook obviously are parodies of Kerry Fisher, as you said. And I don't know why I didn't think of this, Andy, but I really should have done Harrison Ford. 
Yeah, I kind of thought that once I realised the Carrie Fisher one, I kind of assumed that that was what they were going for. But may maybe they were a little bit more scared of Harrison Ford suing them, so they kind of changed it in a slightly more oblique way. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> of course, of course there was Star Wars references in there. But additional fun trivia note, actually, and I really like this one. Karen Fishhook is voiced by Susan Blue, who would later voice another Princess Leia parody. RC in Transformers. I was going to say, yeah, that is the voice actress for RC. So there, there you go. So there's a fun little bit, bit of trivia for you there. Yeah. Again, like I wonder whether that was known and had been decided at the time, or whether it was just complete coincidence. Because again, I mean, in terms of the timeline of filming that movie, I imagine they would have done casting by then. So I wonder whether they like pulled her across and be like, hey, this this will be a fun little thing we can drag you into. Yeah, because I'm just looking at the date quickly. This episode aired originally in America in like on November the 21st, 1985, and the movie didn't come out until August the following year. And we yeah. know based on our past discussions when we saw that random teaser that dialogue had already sort of been recorded slash had begun recording. Yeah, yeah. So you'd, you'd assume that she was already in as RC at that point. Mm. So it would probably a deliberate decision to say, like, hey, we've got another perfect female role for you. <laughs> From there, everyone, we now advance to our two-parter story for this podcast. That beginning with episode 39 of season two, The Key to Vector Sigma, part one. We begin with the Autobots acting as a police escort of sorts for a tanker full of super fuel that the government has asked them to test. Then the convoy is attacked by the Seeker, Seeker Jet's cone style, if you will, thrust, dirge, and ramjet, led by Megatron. They manage to shake them off by going through a few tunnels in the mountains. The two Seeker Jets, specifically dirge and thrust, aren't able to go through the first tunnel. They just fly into the mountain and go crashing in a heap. Ramjet is able to get through, though, but ultimately succumbs to the second tunnel that the convoy goes through and ends up crashing in a heap. So much so, Andy, the other two Seeker Jets have to actually carry him away because that's how badly banged up he is. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, like again, Dirge just crashing into a wall straight off the bat, like just, just mere, mere minutes after taking to the air after his last fumble. Here, here we are again. So, well, well done, Dirge. Megatron can't believe that they've bungled this and steps into action himself landing at the exit to the tunnel and having his arm cannon ready to fire at one of the tankers carrying the super fuel. Knowing, that the, knowing of the almighty explosion, a shot to that would cause, forcing the convoy to stop. Prime is calling Megatron's bluff though, quote unquote, no way Megatron, you'll have to blow us all up and frankly, I don't think you've got the guts. Megatron then responds with, DIE YOU MISERABLE! As Smokescreen then comes into shot and blinds him with, with predictably, a Smokescreen! Yeah, I love how he's, again, once again, Smokescreen literally just deployed to do his thing. <laughs> and that's basically his, his contribution to this story. With Megatron now engulfed in smoke, Prime, Smokescreen and Prowl begin firing at him, forcing Megatron and co. to retreat. We rejoin Megatron, Soundwave, and Rumble flying in the air. Megatron's still pretty peed about what has happened. Rumble astutely points out that there isn't much they can do because they're travelling by road, and the Autobots rule the roads. This is when Megatron says, this is something he will have to change. 
We then hear Soundwave say, Attention, deviating off course. Megatron then says, We're going to get some wheels! We then cut to a Formula One slash IndyCar track. They say Formula One in the dialogue, but I kind of question the legitimacy of that, but whatever. We, we cut to the Formula One track, with the race in its final lap. Rumble appears, stops one of the cars, literally picks up and chucks the driver out of the way. Good job he was wearing a crash helmet, quite frankly. And proceeds to drive it away, sitting on top of it. Yeah, I, I love I love that scene particularly. That that was one thing that I did sort of remember, I think, from this this episode. Like just Rumble being like like when your dad tries to drive the little kind of pedal car that you have as a kid and like you're like several sizes too big to get in it and it's just it's a great it's a great visual. I love it. But that's not all. As Rumble continues his hunt for vehicles by stealing a getaway car from a bank heist and then a giant lorry being chased by police cars, of which he dealt with the cars as well, shooting out their tyres. At Decepticon HQ, we come to find out that Rumble has acquired a total of five vehicles, four cars as well as the lorry. Megatron then says, quote unquote, Now I will turn these cars into machines of destruction also praising Rumble for his hard work in the process. We then see Megatron show off the fact that he's actually good at working on cars, Andy, it turns out, because he converts all five of them into vehicles that he can control. We then get to see a pretty notable test run of the vehicles, with Megatron controlling their movements via, uh, via a controller, effectively. We see that they've been fitted with an automatic force field, each of them, so they could just run through, like, rocks and trees and cause devastation. And also the fact that their hulls are impenetrable because of that. In addition to that, they each apparently have anti-gravitational abilities. Rumble is in awe of what he is seeing, particularly when the Formula One car traverses just straight up the side of a mountain and says, Incredible! Not even the Autobots can do that kind of stunt driving. Megatron says, stunt driving. Yes! Then, the five cars gather together and, e and respectively transform into their robot modes as Megatron proclaims them the Stunticons. Yeah, they, they, they should really get Rumble to do all of the naming of things in this show because <laughs> he's clearly way better at it than everybody else. <laughs> I really like the way that they set this whole entire thing up, Andy. It was really fun, had that bit of mystery and intrigue to it. And also, quite frankly, it has now sort of answered the question of, we've got new Transformers randomly arriving during this season. Why the heck don't the Decepticons have cars at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's weird because I, I remember all of this stuff. I just didn't remember that the key to Vector Sigma was like the special teams intro episode, um, which is probably partly because I just like the introduction of the Stunticons and later like the aerial bots, etc., etc. Like that was a massive thing in like the Marvel comics. They went absolutely all out on it. Like they created special comic strips for it. They had like posters, they had stickers. They, they went absolutely ham on this. Which is probably why I owned a heck of a lot of them as a kid. <laughs> like, I owned all of the Stunticons. I didn't get any of the Aerobots, actually, but I got all of the Protectorbots, and I got all of the um, Combaticons as well. So, 
I was all in, like, you know, I, I was sold on all of these kind of uh, new ranges when they came out at the time. But for some reason, because I think it, the comics had such a blitz, I kind of forgot that there was such a, a focus on them in the actual cartoon for this two-parter. So I was very excited, but I was like, oh, yeah, it's the Stunticons, because they're all... They were all really cool toys. Like they were, they were really good. Like, and it was like even as a kid at the time, it was like the novelty of like, oh, Decepticon cars. That's awesome. Like, yeah, why did the Decepticons not have any cars up till now? But yay, they now they do, and it's cool. On that thought, then, Andy, if you're mentioning about like this was the point when there was a big launch of these guys in the comics, do you vaguely recall what the origins were for the two teams? Like, were they similar to how it played out in the cartoon? Um, no, I mean, th this is sort of where it all gets a bit weird because the the comics had set up the idea of, like, the creation matrix from the get-go that was kind of stuck in Optimus Prime's head. Um, so they already had their, like, their narrative device for how you give new Transformers life, um, which, you know, they used for a whole bunch of things, which I think included, like, all of the special teams. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, I think it, it was kind of, like, it had at least some crossover in terms of it was very much the same idea of, like, well, the Decepticons don't have any cars, they don't have any vehicles. And then off the back of that, it's like, well, the Autobots don't really have any planes. Um, and so, you know, they, they did do a sort of a similar crossover of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I don't recall a lot of the other specifics beyond, like, you know, they, they had a, a, a recorded, like, cassette tape and, and everything with, uh, with, with like, the, the whole story of, of the whole special teams thing, which I think... Uh, I seem to recall there's like a, a version of that kicking about on YouTube. Um, it's it's I forget who the narrator is of it, but like he was a relatively famous British actor who like had a really good distinctive voice, and it was just like really well narrated and like surprisingly got into it for somebody who'd clearly just been paid as like a job for hire of like please read this kid's like story basically um and like you know he did all all the voices for like starscream and everything where they just put like robot filters over it so yeah i i just have very fond memories of this specific era of like introducing these characters and these these groups of characters to the uh to, to the, the world of transformers hmm at Autobot HQ, they are looking over the footage of Rumble stealing the F1 car, and they're concerned over what the reasoning for this is. Prime points out that there's no way to make them have cybernetic personalities unless... Cue Teletranth alarm to go off. He says that he detects that the Decepticon space bridge has been reactivated. Prime knows what this means and puts out a call to Omega Supreme to get to HQ immediately. We assume it wasn't that long to get from the forest of despair over the heck he is. <laughs> At the space bridge, Megatron makes it clear that he wants the Stunticons to have their own individual personalities. And there's only one place where they can receive them. Cue Megatron, Soundwave, Rumble and the Stunticons using the space bridge to travel to Cybertron where Shockwave is waiting for them on arrival. And he says that he has plotted a course to Vector Sigma. Rumble is unaware of what this is, and Megatron explains it's, quote-unquote, the mega computer deep in the core of Cybertron, which gave us all life. This is when Shockwave jumps in and says, let's not forget that the computer can't be activated without the circuit key, which Megatron is like, what? You've never told me this! How do I yeah. not know this? 
Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that as a, just like, you, you know, maybe you should have mentioned this kind of quite important part of the whole, <laughs> the whole like, plan that, that this was required. But then Shockwave adds, don't worry, I know where it is. It's with Alpha Trion. Megatron is, is very happy at this news and then says, let's pay the old fool a visit. Back on Earth, Omega Supreme has arrived at HQ and Prime, Hoist, Prowl, Wheeljack, Ironhide and Ratchet board him to travel on Cybertron. I'm going to say it now. Blaster also ends up traveling with them. We just don't see him boarding Omega Supreme. I'm just putting that out there now. Yeah, maybe he was already on there, like, playing, like, I don't know, Coldplay for Omega Supreme in the Forest of Despair. <laughs> oh. that's, that, that's, that's, my, that's my, like, headcanon for this whole thing. <laughs> I can't think of something much worse, quite frankly. <laughs> Back on Cybertron, we see Alpha Trion in what I'm calling, Andy, the galaxy's most clutter-ridden workshop. Because that was a mess. And he says he yeah. is looking for his 10.2 Ultra Drill. Yeah, guy, guy. This is like there's some like Cybertron version of the the, the Hoarders TV show where, <laughs> where they just go through his workshop and clean it out for him. The Decepticons then arrive wanting the key, and Tryon tries to counter them and kind of has their number for about two seconds before he's overpowered. Soundwave is then able to trace the key using his scanner. Quite frankly, blows up a lot of the clutter, and in the process is able to retrieve the key from a wall mount. The Autobots arrive on Cybertron and head straight for Alpha Trion's location, but on arrival, obviously seen a hole is blown in, the, blown in the wall, and Wheeljack even making a phrase of this place looking even messier than it normally does. They search for Trion and find him now pretty much literally part of a wall. He's just been, like, indented into it, quite frankly. Ratchet and Hoist are then tasked with repairing him as they need his help to locate Vector Sigma. I will note now, Andy, this is when I suddenly noticed that Blaster was with them. <laughs> yeah, just snuck in through the, through the bag there. Ratchet and Wheeljack complete repairs. Yes, I said Wheeljack because we don't see Hoist helping him. It's Ratchet and Wheeljack that do it. <laughs> just to note. Tryon explains that Megatron wants to give life to his group of cars and that, and that Vector Sigma is still online. The key that Megatron took is part of the power circuits of Vector Sigma. They proceed then to jump into the bowels of Cybertron, as I have written down here. Cut to the Decepticons, who seem to be very close to their destination, when they are met by a platoon of pretty tough, to say the least, Centurion droids. They are really powerful. But Megatron then realises very quickly they're probably guarding Vector Sigma, and holds up the key, and the Centurions stop. Megatron's theory was correct. He's holding part of Vector Sigma, thus they can't hurt him. But then, the key point in this is he effectively gives the platoon new orders, that being to attack the Autobots. The Centurions then head off to find their new foes. The Decepticons proceed. Back with the Autobots, Prime says, It was a miracle we survived that blast. What, what blast? <laughs> Did I miss something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suspect that something got edited out here and they didn't change the dialogue around it because, yeah, it definitely feels like we missed a trick somewhere. <laughs> it was just that moment I, I just genuinely thought, did I just zone out or something <laughs> completely when taking my notes? Uh, and also, it's also worth noting as well that he says, that Tryon then says, because of this blast, 
they can only now use the route they are on to get to Vector Sigma. So something big clearly happened in the original script that they didn't rewrite. Oh, whatever. But anyway, sure. Suddenly, they come across a storage hangar, if you will, filled with corpses of, of Transformers from years gone by and some shuttle ships, as they are phrased. They then continue on their journey when they meet the Centurion Guards, and the fight is on. I've got to say, Andy, these Centurion Guards, I really like the design of them, and I also loved how freaking tough they were. There was some really good back-and-forth action between these as well. Yeah, yeah, this is this is really good. Again, there's a, a sort of something of like a, an analogy to the, the comics here, where the comics had... Um, that they were called like I think there was only really one that was actually actively used, but they were called like guardians, mm. and like the Ark had one that was basically just like ridiculously strong and powerful, and of course it like went berserk on a regular basis when they needed something to fight, um, and it, and and that was always like a really cool thing like early on in in the comic strip to say like hey there's these kind of like non sentient transformers basically that are just built to be super strong and kind of really difficult to take down and this just reminded me a lot of that but just with far more of them um so yeah it's kind of it's again it's one of those things that this series does quite well from time to time where it gives it gives the autobots an enemy that they can really let loose on because normally, you know, the series always has to rein it in a little bit. Like, well, you can't kill all the Decepticons because that would defeat the entire point of the show. If it's some kind of human or other sort of alien thing, it's the whole Autobots. Like, well, we can't do harm. So they're always having to rein it in. So when you get a kind of a fight scene where it's just like, no, we can just go for it. Um, that's always that's always a good time. The Decepticons arrive at the location of Vector Sigma. Megatron inserts the key and the very big golden globe-looking computer is activated. We get the following dialogue exchange. I am Vector Sigma. Before Cybertron was, I was. Who reactivates me? Megatron responds with, I, Megatron, one of your own creations. Sigma responds with, Why have you done this thing? <laughs> Yeah, after all, after all that like poetic intro, it sort of kind of falls a bit flat. It's like, oh no, I've got to go off script now. It's like this, 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 this isn't going to go so well. Megatron responds with, "You must give personalities to the Stunticons. They are cybernetic creations like ourselves. Fill them with hatred for the Autobots and all they stand for." Sigma Ninja says, "Present them to me," and then we see the process start. All of them standing effectively in a circle, and then giant beams of light aimed at each of them. But first, let's check in on the Autobots and see how they're doing. Oh, short way of putting it, Andy, they're getting their butts handed to them by, by these Centurions, and end up retreating back to the storage hangar that they found earlier. Prime has the idea of getting Ratchet, Hoist, and Wheeljack, Wheeljack to repair a bunch of the downed drones in there. Because, you know, Andy, good idea, strength in numbers, let's see if we can overpower them. Keep that thought in mind, everyone. That's not what happened. Back with the Decepticons. The process is complete, and the Stunticons introduce themselves. The lorry is Motormaster. The others, respectively, are Dead End, Breakdown, Drag Strip, and Wild Rider. 
I've got to be honest, Andy. When Wild Rider said his name, I could not understand what he said at first because the, the the line of dialogue was just so weirdly sounding. I actually had to search that one. Yeah, yeah. L- luckily, again, because, because I had the toys and I knew the names, I was like, okay, I, I know what you said. But yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm with you on that. Also, interesting to note that from their introductions, three of them, at the very least, seem to be, let's say, less inclined to want to follow orders, but we'll go with it anyway. Yeah, might, might that, play that, might come into play later on. Yeah, and that, that's actually one of the things I really like about this two-parter is it does lean into the personalities of these new characters. It's not just like, oh, here they are, they're just going to do their thing. Like, it, it leans quite hard into sort of the actual, you know, the, the characters as created for the toys, etc., etc., and they've actually imbued the same personalities with them. Because the, the cartoon doesn't always tend to do that. Like, it sometimes skirts around some of that stuff just because it's convenient so i i did really enjoy the fact that they've they've actually stuck uh, stuck to it with uh, with these guys megatron now retrieves the key and they head back to the space bridge to return to earth and back with the autobots those drones that i mentioned where you know it's gonna be strength in numbers they're just cannon fodder this is this is almost andy like the equivalent of optimus prime sending like those those alien tentacle things just to another planet. He just sends them to die, basically. (laughs) Yep, yep, absolutely. Because they get utterly decimated. And a fun tidbit as well, clearly one of the Centurions is a pro wrestling fan because he outright just does an almighty German suplex on one of the droids and his head pops off. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can always rely, like, if you're going to give a bunch of Japanese animators a fight scene like this, at some point somebody's going to suplex somebody else, because they're also, they, they do love the wrestling. Prime then sends out a second wave, which seemed to be just programmed to walk off a ledge, and the Centurions follow them to their doom. I'm going to be frank, Andy, that was a, I, I remembered this happening when it happened, I never fully appreciated how anticlimactic this is, but man, that was a letdown end to the battle. Yeah, it's sort of it is weird because it's so much of this sort of this chunk of the episode has been set up about how like powerful these uh, centurions are and like how difficult they're going to be to beat, and then it's just yeah, it's it's a very low key way of resolving that issue of just like okay, well we need to move on and do something else now, so here we go. They now arrive at Vector Sigma, and Tryon can tell immediately that the Decepticons got what they wanted. Prime then has an idea of remodelling some of the shuttles that we saw in the hangar from earlier into quote-unquote Earth-style jets. Tryon is weary of this idea, but they're going to give it a try. Speaking of Earth and whatnot, on a military base, we see the Stunticons raid the base, causing utter carnage. The military, at this point, also notice that nobody is driving the vehicles, which can mean only one thing. It's the Autobots. Yeah, I mean, if if, if only there was some kind of symbol that you could use to tell whether somebody was an Autobot or a Decepticon, you know, would have been really convenient. But but now you've just got to assume because they're vehicles, then they must be Autobots. You see, if we're going to roll back in time now to Megatron's master plan when he was pretending to be the Autobots, this would have been the better plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Also, I want to give a shout out to the cliffhanger episode ending of this episode because you see, I think it's breakdown literally flying 
through and out the other side of a building and the shot just freezes and it fades to black and says to be continued it's such a good cliffhanger shot (laughs) yeah yeah it's sort of it it is partly like a weird place to leave it but it's also like a perfect point of just like oh yeah everything's kind of going bad so yeah come back tomorrow kids for part two and that was the end of part one of this, Andy. I guess I might as well just... We probably could have talked about this before we started recording, but do you want to review both episodes together or should we talk about this episode as a whole and what we yeah, thought? Well, I guess... Yeah, I guess let, let's talk about this this half of it briefly and then we can, can move on. But yeah, I, this is this is really good. Like, uh, I... It's so weird because I, I remembered, obviously, like what Vector Sigma was mm-hmm. and I remembered Alpha Trion being in this episode... I did not remember that this was the special teams intro episode at all. Like I, I, for some reason, I had that compartmentalized in my brain as a different episode. So, I is was I was kind of excited when I realised what this was. I was like, okay, cool. This is this is awesome. Um, and yeah, I think it's really good. Like you know, I, I think we've both proven in the past that we're a sucker for trips to Cybertron, um, especially something that builds a bit more kind of lore and backstory into things. Um, and much as the TV show does it differently to the comics and other uh, other arenas of like G1 Transformers, like this is this is pretty good, um, and it, it it's a useful way of of kind of you know bringing these characters around and using them as the basis for a story as well. So yeah, I, I was very much on board with with all of this stuff. Yeah, I I liked the way the story was set up, and like you said, I remembered what Vector Sigma was slash looked like. I remember Tryon was involved. I also, for some reason, remembered the beginning of the episode. I just remember that sequence and, like, the convoy and the jets crashing and stuff. I remembered yeah. that really well. But, yeah, when it came to, like, the, the special teams, as you're phrasing it, I totally forgot the stunt cons were introducing this. I remembered vaguely around this time. It was. Pro- I think I probably thought in this story that the aerial bots would come into play. And as soon as at the end they said, we want to make Earth-style jets, I kind of almost just went, yes! Yeah, because c- I think I even like commented on, on a previous podcast. I, I, I think it was like on the podcast and not, not one of our, our our chats afterwards about how, like, you know, I, I couldn't really understand why, like, Silverbolt was on the cover of, like, the UK VHS tapes for this, because it's like, I'm sure he wasn't in it. And it's like, oh, no, actually, it's literally, <laughs> he's exactly the character that should be on the front of that tape. So what was I thinking? There we go. From there, everybody, we advance to our next episode. That being episode 40 of season two, The Key to Vector Sigma, part two. Continuing from where we left off, the episode begins with the Autobots remodeling the shuttles into Earth-style jets. This is when Tryon reveals that the Decepticons used a key, but not the key, to Vector Sigma. Keep that in mind, everybody. Just keep that thought in mind. You see, I, I now at this point, I really wish that rather than calling this whole story like the key to Vector Sigma Part One and Two, they should have called like Part One a key to Vector Sigma and Part Two the key to Vector Sigma, <laughs> just to see if anybody noticed. <laughs> so Tryon decides that because he is a first-generation product of Vector Sigma, I'm quoting him here. I should say, by the way, sharing the same computation matrix. His power supply can merge with it and in turn reactivate it. Prime protests this, but then Tryon says that he know he knows that Prime needs the planes and the safety of the people of Earth may depend on them. 
We then see Tryon effectively insert his arm into Vector Sigma, get electrocuted the hell out of, and then just see his body come crashing down to the ground. Prime then says he is merged with Vector Sigma. And Blaster, quite rightly, is in shock and just says, this whole thing is nuts. I mean, Blaster was worth bringing along just for that, to be honest. (laughs) Just to be the voice of reason of just like, this is all bonkers, I'm not sure I'm I'm into this. Prime then pretty much says, one Autobot has given his life so that six more could be born. Effectively saying, Alpha Trion's just died. (laughs) Yeah, 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 pretty pretty much. Um, Which, yeah, it's sort of... That that is definitely something that stuck with me from watching this as a kid because again, like you know, Transformers, it was always the sort of you know somebody dies or do they? You know, the, the, it, it never really gets quite that dark. But you know, while Alpha Tron is not really dead, dead here, like it's a pretty existential sort of cessation of a lot of what would be called being alive and it's like it was kind of I sort of remember my mind being a little bit scrambled by that as a kid just trying to come to terms with what had just happened Mm. we then get the same process that we saw for the Decepticons in the previous episode when it came to Vector Sigma reactivating the same sort of lines of dialogue but Prime tells him to give them personalities worthy of the one who created him Prime that is so like Alpha Trion, to let them think for themselves, to grow in knowledge and wisdom, and then always value freedom and life wherever they find it. We see the lightning bolt shoot out once again, and the jets begin to transform. Prime welcomes them to the fold, proclaiming them the Aerial Bots. I remember as a kid, Andy, freaking loving the Aerial Bots. I've got to say, though, after the introductions and what we saw, I don't, I don't understand why I liked one of them in particular. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there is definitely when, when Optimus Prime is giving his instructions to Vector Sigma as to what to imbue them with, like he clearly made one very important omission there that he should probably make sure. Can you make sure they're like good at flying? Um, <laughs> that that would have been been useful. Yeah, weirdly, I never, I don't know why I never really took to the area bots. Like they were the one of, of those sort of four teams that got introduced. That I was just like, eh, no, nah, I'm, I'm fine with those guys. I think it's maybe just because they were all very like white and not very colorful whereas all the other teams had some some very kind of colorful and, and good designs to them but for some reason just aerobots never stuck with me see funnily enough actually silverbolt was one of my favorites i remember having that toy because he was a freaking concord yeah that was the one that i did kind of want i think that was kind of my my issue is that i sort of wanted silverbolt but then didn't really want the rest and it felt weird to have one without the whole set mm. so i like focused my attentions elsewhere <laughs> So Blaster gives them a warm welcome of his own just by going, what's happening, dudes? <laughs> and we are introduced to them one by one. Silverbolt, Air Raid, Firefight, who, quick note, we can't actually see at this point because Prime's head is right in the centre of the shot. Yeah, th- this whole setup, like, compared to the way they introduce the um, the Stunticons, where they really take care to make sure you get to a good glimpse of every one... 
this felt weirdly kind of crammed together that it was like a really bad like family photo that hasn't been very well organized because everyone's just like standing in front of everybody else you don't really get a good look at anyone and it's i i don't know whether this was just a like time running out on animation or or it was badly storyboarded or what but it's like oh this is a really kind of dashed off intro compared to what the stunticons got it was like the equivalent of someone being interviewed on TV, but the host is standing right in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. It almost made me wonder if maybe like a design just hadn't been finalised, or they had to change something and just retroactively add it in. But, you know, yeah, I mean, when we get to the trivia notes, maybe I'll find out. But yeah, Silverbolt, Air Raid, Firefight, Skydive, and Slingshot slingshot everyone he's the one that's going to be a problem suddenly we hear alpha trion's voice from inside vector sigma he says that he has learned that the key which megatron took back to earth may be the doom of the entire planet because of the radically different energy of that the planet emits with urgency they head back also worth noting during the scene that shockwave happens to randomly waltz by and see what's occurred. He then relays this information to Megatron, who has now secured the superfuel amongst all the kerfuffle on Earth, and wants to examine the key further, now knowing there is more power involved. The Autobots are heading back to the surface and discover a load of the Centurion Guards waiting with anti-aircraft-like cannon turrets. Cue the aerial bots to spring into action, and we get our first taste of their aerial prowess before making it to the surface and hitching a ride on Omega Supreme to head back to Earth. Now, during the trip, we hear some dialogue from Prime inferring that he has brought the aerial bots up to speed on why the Autobots are on Earth. They land, and upon landing, something is up with Omega Supreme. There's kind of a little random close-up shot as they're flying away from Cybertron of something on the side of Omega Supreme, but it's really not clear. And then he just says... Evacuate. Explosion is imminent. They all get off and he blows up. <laughs> Inside HQ, Ratchet is working hard on repairing him and says, quite frankly, that it couldn't be much worse of a situation. They were able to save and keep his brain functional thanks to cybernetic life support machines. But there's likely not enough time to save him. I will be honest, Andy, there was part of me that's thinking, did they kill off Omega Supreme? now there was just part of me that's like did they do it now because i couldn't remember i just <laughs> did that, that moment of oh man did they do this like a year before the movie when they probably could have done it then yeah i i don't i i yeah because i i guess we'll see whether he like appears in his subsequent episodes um because mm. yeah like definitely by the time the movie rolls around you know they've moved on to bigger and better things and then once you get to season three you've got kind of skylinks becomes the the, the transport shuttle of choice mm. um over poor old omega supreme maybe he just retires to the forest of despair maybe that's the the, the polite way of, of putting it which in fairness he probably deserves that at this point <laughs> yeah ab absolutely the autobots roll out and head to the military base that we mentioned earlier but are immediately attacked prime tries to reason with the military Slingshot notably doesn't understand why the hell they should help the humans given what's just happened. Which, you know what? As a first impression, Andy, I don't blame him for thinking that. He's also a troll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. 
the Stunticons then arrive and we get our first taste of Stunticon the Autobot action. Including the wonderful line of dialogue amongst all the various battles we see from Blaster of Eat Asphalt, Chump! Yeah, um, Blaster really gets brained by one of them as well. Like, there's a really brutal <laughs> bit of animation. Like, literally just gets hit hit in the face by a fast-moving car. And, like, that, I, I don't think there's any other moment in trans, in this cartoon thus far that made me wince before that one. Mm. Because it's just, like, the speed and the impact of that. It's just like, ooh, that must... Even if you've got a robot face, that must hurt. Mm. I mean, Jazz, even when he was in car mode, got rammed into a tree. And that looked pretty bad. But, yeah, I agree with you. Blaster, <laughs> Blaster took one for the team here, to say the least. He, he really did. This is when the military uh, realise, excuse me, that it wasn't the Autobots that attacked them. The, ar the aerial bots then begin engaging with them and demonstrate that they have the ability to match up with the Stunticons. An interesting conundrum occurs, though, at this point, because Slingshot, I think it's, um... It's the, it's the lorry, isn't it? I totally forgot the, the Stunticon lorry name. Motormaster. Thank you. It's Motormaster on the back of Slingshot, and he needs help, and Silverbolt tries to go and help him, but they're kind of so high in the sky that he he just can't get to them, and he has to bail. And it turns out it's because he's afraid of heights. Yeah, which, again, th this is one of the things that I, I really like that they went for in this episode because that's like a really weird sort of plot point like I think the, the comics kind of dealt with this quite a bit but it's like it's right there in his sort of in his tech specs as a, a character from the toy version that's just like yeah like his weird quirk is that he actually is, is afraid of heights so he doesn't actually really like flying and it's like okay cool yeah this this actually leans into that and does some interesting stuff with it I think Vector Sigma was trolling the Autobots I'm gonna be honest yeah, well, I mean, this is where I, I feel like, yeah, Optimus Prime should have added to his instructions, like, and make them able to actually fly properly, because, you know, he he, he didn't mention that they, they might need to fly. Yeah, remember how I said a moment ago that Slingshot is a troll? He's really being a troll at this point. He is he is pointing and digging in hard at, 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 at Silverbolt for not being able to fly high. Even has some choice words for Ironhide in the process about how they couldn't handle the Stunticons. Slingshot... Mate, first impressions count. <laughs> You're not giving a good first impression here. Yeah, yeah, and and of all of all the people, you probably don't want to like mouth off at like Ironhide, probably the shortest temper of everybody. Who's just like like you what, mate? You, you want to go outside? And it's like, oh no, not, not Ironhide. Anyone else but him? Can you imagine Prime just going, oh. Yeah, it's like, I mean, once again, just like the tired school teacher Optimus Prime of just like, kids, can you just stop fighting? Sorry. I just wanted some jets. That's all I <laughs> <Yeah>. wanted. <laughs> Back at HQ, work is continuing on Omega Supreme. This is when the aerial bots decide to check out the place, get used to their new home. This is when we see Prime and Silverbolt take a moment to talk. Silverbolt doesn't know why he was scared, but as we've kind of alluded to here, he indicates that he was a low-level transport ship on Cybertron. And Prime decides, with that in mind, to make him leader of the aerial bots. So that he can perhaps try and have something else to think about, I think is the exact wording that Prime said. Yeah, and that, that, was, that was the interesting part of that, the reasoning for it was just like, well, at least if you've got something else to worry about, you might not notice that you're flying <laughs> so high. And it's like, I mean, I, I see the logic there, but maybe... 
I, not, not quite sure that's a good management decision, but you, you do you, Brian. <laughs> I'm sure it came from a good place, really, but you know. Of course. <laughs> Back with the Decepticons, Soundwave cannot detect any anomalies within the key that they have got. But Megatron knows there must be something significant. This leads to a separate scene a short time later, where Soundwave accidentally drops the key, and suddenly the ground underneath it turns a different colour. I originally wrote down it looked like ice, Andy, but it turns out I was really wrong based on that, because Megatron then uses a button on the key to fire a beam of energy at a tree, which turns it grey. And we come... Long story short, the key de-energizes matter on Earth, turning it into metal. Megatron now wants to turn the Earth into a new Cybertron. We then see the aerial bots watching a TV drama, bad choice guys, which shows quite frankly the high status of people in society, which most people in life, us included I'm sure Andy, really really hate and don't want to be anything like. <laughs> so the aerial bots are getting a really really good example of the humans they really shouldn't know about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame they didn't just put on a tape of Dash Jordan <laughs> instead, but, you know, maybe, maybe that hadn't come out yet by the time this episode <laughs> And of course, with all of this in mind, the aerial bots are now even more confused about why the heck they're protecting the humans. And I say the aerial bots, it's slingshot. Like, I'm just putting <laughs> it out there, it's slingshot. Silverbolt tries to reason with them, saying not to jump to conclusions, and slingshot just brushes it off. This leads to the metaphorical first shot properly fired by the aerial bots. Well, sorry, Andy, I'm, I'm saying the aerial bots is an all-encompassing term by slingshot, specifically. <laughs> he has some choice words about the humans, the Autobots, and the fact that Omega Supreme couldn't even handle a little trip from Cybertron. He says that they don't that they, the aerial bots, don't need them, and then leaves with the others. This is much to the protest of Silverbolt, who tells Prime. Don't worry, I'll sort this. At this point, Teletran picks up some unusual readings and shows footage of what Megatron is doing to various trees. We randomly hear that he's about 20 miles outside of Seattle, and even though the Autobots are outnumbered and outgunned, what's left of the Autobot crew for this episode heads out. We then see what I'm calling a town hall meeting between the aerial bots Andy on top of a mountain, where Slingshot really doesn't like the fact he is on Earth and the fact that Silverbolt has been designated as their leader. Slingshot keeps harping on about how much better they are and then Silverbolt just says, okay, let's take over. <laughs> much to Slingshot's surprise and they head back to HQ. Prime's group arrives with Meg at Megatron's location and they're just immediately being overpowered, battered and bruised and everything else in between by the Stunticons. With all of this going on, the aerial bots are actually watching this happen and watching it unfold via Teletram. This is how much of a troll Slingshot is at this point. And Silverbolt is trying to use some reverse psychology to convince Slingshot that, you know, if you're still so much better than everyone, you'd fight the Decepticons and stop them, right? Right? Then they wander to a different location in the HQ, more specifically where Omega Supreme is being worked on. Ratchet's running out of energy and says he needs to go and recharge, and Sparkplug is helping with this, and he says, don't worry, I'll take over. The other aerial bots are shocked by this, 
They don't understand why the human is carrying on. And Silverbolt tells them, because that's how much they care for the welfare of the Autobots. This message finally gets through to Slingshot and the rest of the Aerobots, and they head out, I was about to say roll out, but I guess fly out? Uh, to help their comrades. Back with Prime's crew, the Aerobots arrive just as Prime is literally about to be crushed by a crazy circle of Stunticons. The Aerobots have their number. And this is when we get the reveal, Andy, that the Stunticons can combine into Menasaur. Which was a really good reveal, because I, I actually properly forgot they could combine. I just completely forgot. Yeah, yeah, I was sort of... It, it always it, it felt like they weren't, they weren't going to do the thing, and then they did the thing, and I was like pump, pumping the pumping my fist in the air of just like yes they're doing the thing um and uh, yeah much much joy was had now back with prime's crew oh sorry i've read that bit but the aerial bots have a trick of their own and they combine into superion which i totally forgot and i literally went yes because i remembered <laughs> loving superion when i was a kid yeah yeah this is very good like May have a name that sounds like a washing powder, but, uh, but a good robot. We see the two combiners battle in a back-and-forth battle, to say the least. That Menasaur kind of gets the upper hand on initially, until Omega Supreme appears to help. He's all good and better, everyone. The Decepticons end up retreating, but Silverbolt sees that Megatron still has the key in his hand, and proceeds to take to the sky and follow him. Despite having the fear of heights and whatnot, he is able to knock the key out of his hand. He tries to shoot down the key, but can't do it in his jet form. So turns back to his root form and is able to shoot the key out the sky. Seemingly, though, he can't transform back and just accepts he's about to die. <laughs> Until Slingshot catches him before he crash lands. And the episode concludes with everyone now being on the same page. Everyone apologizing for things that may have been said. And the Autobots are stronger than ever. The end. In a weird way, Andy, this ending felt a tad bit rushed, but it didn't take away from the fact it was really, really cool and a really fun way to end the story. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it, it is a bit rushed, but it sort of pays off a bunch of the things that it set up. Um, also, like, I'm... I'm trying to remember like how this compares to other sort of versions of Transformers media, but I I found it interesting that both like Menasaur and Superion are kind of they're basically kind of dumb in their combined modes. Like you know they talk far more basically and are kind of just like they're just big slugfest robots rather than having any kind of smarts or tactics about them. And I I don't think the comics ever played them that way, but that that was kind of an interesting like oh yeah I didn't. I didn't remember that, that they did this with them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool ending, seeing them kind of combine into their gestalt forms and, and do their thing. And yeah, like it, it pays off the whole serial, serial bolt, the serial box, <laughs> sil silver bolt plotline um, really well um, to, to kind of a satisfying resolution to that. That again, just, just really makes it worthwhile that it does that character work with them to, to, to make it way more interesting. Hmm. Random question in case you know off the top of your head. Are the, are the Constructicons now just gone? Like, do we never see Devastator again? Because I, I, I want to see 2v2. I want to see a tag team match here. 
Yeah, well, weirdly, I think it's more like the special teams guys kind of disappear at some point. Because, I mean, we see Devastator in Transformers the movie. Like, he's mm. the only, like, gestalt that we see in that film. Um, so the Constructicons kind of stick around. I don't really know what happens to uh, all the other special teams. I'm also... I think when we get to season three, I think we get to see, like... Um, we get to see the Combaticons a bit, and I assume we get to see the Protector Bots as well, because it's sort of weird that they don't get introduced at quite the the same time, because I think all the toys came out at the same time, and then later on you've got like the Predacons and stuff as well. They they kind of went quite hard on all the big Gestalt robots at, at some point. So uh, so yeah, I, I we definitely see more of Devastator. I, I don't recall how much more we get to see of like Menasaur and Superion though. Funnily enough. <laughs> So, it's it's sort of trivia and fact time, so let's go through and see what the TF Wiki has. For part one of the Key to Vector Sigma, according to episode writer David Wise, at various conventions, such as BotCon 2009, he was instructed to include Vector Sigma when writing this episode as part of the Hasbro episode mandate. Not knowing what Vector Sigma was, he pressed story editor Bryce Malek, who in turn had to go to the Hasbro had to go to Hasbro to learn that Vector Sigma was the computer that gave all the, that gave all the Transformers personalities. This caused Malik to respond with, "Well, it didn't do a very good job, did it?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, at the script stage, the episode had the uninspired subtitle "Creation of the Stunticons." Yeah, yeah, key, key to Vector Sigma definitely a bit punchier than the, than that. Moving on to part two. Uh, random note, not that I know if we're ever going to get to Beast Machines or Beast Wars, Andy, but apparently uh, Vector Sigma is somehow very integral into Beast Machines. I don't know because yeah, I've never yeah. seen it, but apparently this isn't the last we've heard of Vector Sigma. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that it was part of, like, Hasbro's Bible, because I it, it I always sort of assumed it was a bit more of a dashed-off, like, oh, we need a way to give to create some new Transformers and that this was just what the cartoon made up because again as I you know the, the comics had a different a different way of doing it so uh, it's kind of interesting that that was already set in stone as a thing that they had to use um, so that's that's kind of fascinating apparently the sound effect used for Omega Supreme's brain pulses are the same ones used for the Dalek control room in in Doctor Who episodes from ni- since 1963 <laughs> There's a freaking like, trivia note for you. That's bizarre. Right, so this is an interesting one here. This might take a moment or two to read, but I'll, I'll go with it. The shooting scripts for both installments of this two-parter contain several deleted scenes, quote-unquote, which expand greatly upon some of the more significant events in the story. In this episode, Omega Supreme repairs himself after his battle with Shockwave that was deleted from part one, although this episode contains a vestigial reference to it when Ironhide says, now we, now all we've got to do is hope Shockwave didn't get the better of Omega Supreme. I totally missed that line, but sure. But is only able to do a rudimentary job noting that his personal survival is highly improbable. It is this which causes Omega Supreme to explode upon his return to Earth. He willingly puts himself in danger to bring the Autobots back so they can stop the Stunticons. That actually makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely fills in some gaps. So, I mean, it's a weird decision given how pivotal it is to that whole plot point that they cut back completely. 
Um, but I guess I, I don't know what else you would cut from that episode, so I, I guess I can kind of understand at the same time. Mm. Uh, later in the episode, when the aerial bots watch as Spark Plug works to repair Omega Supreme, Spark Plug turns on the young punks, explaining what caused Omega to explode, making them realize what he did for them and what they owe the Autobots. This is very much in contrast to the complete non sequitur of the finished episode in which the fact that Sparkplug can continue working when Ratchet can't, and then Silverbolt makes the Aerobots somehow realise that they owe the Autobots their lives. That's a pretty significant difference right there. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I always prefer the way that they uh, the, the, they play it out in the final version of the episode. Like, it's a bit more subtle and kind of gives them the agency rather than just being shouted at until they come to the right opinion. Hmm. It also says here, additionally, there are some extended scenes of Prime reaffirming that there are six aerial bots to squash the subtle to squash the subtlety of the hint at Superion, and the air and the aerial bots are watching more television. I suppose in hindsight, yeah, I guess Superion is the sixth aerial bot, then, isn't he? Yeah, well, I did wonder when they mentioned six of like, well, there's only five. Like, I, mm. I guess, yeah, they were deliberately counting the gestalt mode but uh yeah that's a an interesting one because they i'm pretty sure they're very clear about saying five with the stunticons which is mm. just makes it all the more confusing yeah also random fact to, to, to end with it on this on this talk andy that uh, apart from motormaster and menasaur none of the stunticons have dialogue in this episode <laughs> no no i mean they, they get yeah they, they get their their intro bit and that's and that's that's it. Yeah, we don't get to say anything in, in part two. <laughs> so there we go, everybody. That wraps up the key to Vector Sigma. Uh, I had a great fun rewatching that, Andy. It's been so many years since I've seen that two-parter, and it still holds up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like I say, I, I'd forgotten basically everything about this, and because I, I didn't own the VHS, like I just rented it, like maybe maybe a couple of times, I, I suspect. Um, so like I I'd seen it at that time, and it wasn't one that I'd ever had chance to rewatch, even as as a kid. Um, so yeah, hence I guess me forgetting pretty much everything about it. But uh, yeah, it was a much released and beloved story for a reason, and uh, it has a lot of of cool stuff going on in there. So yeah, I definitely appreciated getting to uh, getting to check it out again. But next time on the podcast, everybody, as mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be moving to a three-episode discussion format for the next few weeks as we start to wrap up Season 2, which in itself, Andy, that's a weird thing to say out loud, that we're starting to wrap up Season (laughs) 2. Yeah, well, even just seeing our, our, for the video version, our on-screen graphics having like episode forty-one. It's like we've watched we've watched that many episodes of Transformers. <laughs> My God. Yeah, we're going to be looking at episodes forty-one to forty-three of season two of the Transformers, which has the f- which have I should say the following episode titles, and I should note this is according to Hasbro Pulse's episodes as well: Masquerade, Trans Europe Express. War Down. Of those three, Andy, I feel like I've seen the episode War Down. I don't remember anything about it, but the episode title feels incredibly familiar to me. Yeah. Is it War Down or War Dawn? I always thought it was War Dawn. <laughs> have, I, have I really done a Yeah, a yeah it is War that? Dawn. Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's a proper typo from me then. So, War Dawn, everybody, because I can't read my own writing, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, but that that was that was another episode that was heavily used on VHS releases. Is one I don't remember. 
I suspect probably when I watch it, I'll be like, oh yeah, I, I have seen this in some in some uh, shape or form. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about that one because I, I definitely that that name has cropped up on on many a VHS tape, but I'm, I really don't remember whether I've seen it or not. So we, we shall see. And that will be happening. Well, I said that'll be happening. We'll be bringing you that discussion next week, everybody. And on that note, Andy, I think we are about ready to conclude. So before we wrap up good and proper, any additional notes or anything you noted down that you would like to impart upon the world? Uh, no, no, I think that's that's everything. Like, it's... It, this this episode and, and Vector Sigma has kind of got me jonesing to, like, find my Stunticon toys and just play with them for a bit, quite honestly. Do it! Do those, it! Those, those, all, all of those cars and Motormaster are still, like, very cool, and Menasaur is great, and his name's Menasaur, and that's really good. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do still love me the Stunticons. Yeah, and no additional notes from me other than the fact that I'm now really craving to, like, try and find, like, my old aerial bot toy of Silverbolt, but I know it's probably just gone in the ether somewhere. Yeah. In, in a box of no return, most likely. But folks, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. If you have enjoyed this on your platform of choice, be it the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and such, do leave us a rating on there if you feel so inclined. If you want to check out the video versions of our podcast and also our bonus episode from last week where we looked at extras from the DVD set of Transformers Season 2 Part 1, you can head over to our YouTube channel. Search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast and you can find that just fine. We are on Instagram and Twitter, at Starscream's Pod, if you want to give us a follow. If you want to drop us an email, you can send them to Starscream's Ghost Pod at gmail.com. On that note from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been watching Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next week, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.